0: Okay. Yeah. So, thank you, everyone, for joining us. My name is Patricia Regeer with Riguere Educational Services, and I'm so excited to be talking today with Denise. I'm going to ask you to pronounce your last name, but I'm so pleased to be having a conversation with you today, talking about thank accessibility you. online and and so you know so much more. We're going to explore this topic. Mm-hmm. So, can you tell us a little bit more about you, Denise, and pronouncing your name correctly? Because I just tried and didn't do a good job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I sure can. So. My name is Denis Boudreau. Um, what do I do? I, uh, I I am a trainer first and foremost. I am an accessibility uh, subject matter expert. So I work in uh, the disability space. I work in the uh, in in the digital space. Basically, I come from a background of development and design, uh, building websites, that sort of stuff. And and very early on, discovered that the way that we were building websites. Excluded people with disabilities from the very get go, and and that rang something inside of me. That woke something inside of me, and uh, um, and I've been focusing on that particular piece of it ever since. That's it's it'll be like 21, 22 years sometime mm. soon that um, I've dedicated my 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 energy to making the, the digital space a more inclusive area space for for everyone, regardless of their ability to do whatever, or, or, you know, different, different demographics that are more easily excluded, like the elderly or non-native speakers or any other group that struggle with technology for one reason or another. Um, so that led me to, uh, to do a lot of speaking over the years, a lot of training. Uh, so I mostly communicate about ways to make communication more inclusive to, to people with disabilities or people that are otherwise left out of conversations. Right. That's typically what I do.
0: And that's fantastic. And you and I were interested in having this conversation, because I'm passionate about making whether it's online learning or in person, but we're definitely focusing more on the virtual space, um, being engaging for everyone, uh, and inclusive in that sense to that, um, you know, people will refer to it different learning styles, multiple intelligences, but making sure that that space is not boring, it's, engaging and accessible. When I say accessible, I'm not touching, I know I'm not touching on everything. Um, and there's so much more that I have to learn about that as well. So I think it'll be a really interesting conversation that we bring our, our two pieces, different questions we might have for each other and just explore and unpack this, this topic. Yeah, looking um, forward to it. Yeah, me too, with, this, uh, with learning space. So I know that websites are an important piece to a lot of people. Uh, this is just one portion of the conversation and there'll be different pieces um, that we can talk about, but websites or anything that we have online in a digital space is communication is learning, even when it's not the, um, the workshop space. And I definitely want to talk about that as well. You and I had have Touched on it briefly in previous conversations. People are are purchasing a button they can press. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that, all of that? Because I think it's super important that people understand a little bit more and do something about this.
1: Right. So 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 many different things to say. Uh, I guess I'm going to start by talking demographics a little bit. Um, I mean, when 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 I typically speak about you know aiding or helping people with disabilities online. Some of, the, some of the pushback that I get is from people saying, yeah, but is it really that many people? Like, do we really need to care all that much? I mean, I'm focused on my average clients, average users, for instance, and right. I, can't, I can possibly believe that they would fit into that, that picture. Um, and, and what people don't realize is that if you take the data from Canada or the United States, for instance, in Canada, uh, people with disabilities uh, they, they, they count for about 22% of the population in the United States is 26%. So it's anywhere between one out of five or one out of four people Mm -hmm. have one or more disabilities in this country, in Canada, for instance. Right. So, so it's a lot of people to begin with. And then, um, and then, you know, on top of people who have those disabilities, you have their loved ones. You have people that are close to them, that care about them and could easily be swayed into going into a different, direction a different website if they were told that that particular one was a very poor experience for you know their brother their mother their 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 close relatives or whoever the person be mm-hmm. so so when we when we think about it from that perspective and if we were you know, very conservative about what we what were saying and if we if we if we said for instance that you know every person with a disability in Canada as one person who cares about them that 22 becomes 44% of the population right like right that right uh, like that, so, so very quickly that adds up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the data from the, um, the Canadian government, Statistics Canada in this particular case, uh, talks about that 20% across the board, uh, 22% across the board, sorry, um, but it's also 20% of the working age population. And right. they define the working age population, I think if I can remember correctly, something like 25 to 64 something like along those lines so a little little later than than what you normally expect normally it's like 16 to 64 but right. their 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 target their or their bracket is uh, is more like 25 to 64 and that's 20% of the population when you look at people that are over the over the age of 65 there are two statistics that i think that are really interesting the first one is that the 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 elderly themselves like the population that is 65 and older is around 17% of the population and and you probably know as well as i do uh because we we, mm-hmm. we were much younger at some point in our lives, um, right. that as we get older, right? I mean, our sight goes a little bit, our hearing isn't as great. So we see that these, size, the, the, these senses are declining over the years, deteriorating mm-hmm. over the years. So as you get older, you experience a lot of situations that look very much like some disabilities. Mm-hmm. So there are you know, commonalities within the two. And when you think about people that have disabilities that are over the age of 65, that is 38% of them. Mm-hmm. So if you're a business, Couple of things in there. If you're a business and you're interested in, in you know, selling to the vast majority of the population, you cannot afford to not think about accessibility because right. it's easily 20 some percent. And if we, again, agree that each one could be swayed one way or another, be, if they had bad reviews from a, someone that they care about, that's easily twice as much. You add to that people that are getting older, so you had another 15% to that 20% that I was talking about for the working age adults, you're, again, at 40 some percent. And again, if those folks had a problem with your website and they told their friends about it, they might want to go to a competitor instead. So now we're doubling that again. Right. So before you know it, most people benefit from this, either directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a lot to be said. I'm, I'm going to stop there because that could be the entire conversation. But there's a lot to be said about the fact that people don't realize how prevalent that is, yeah. for, for, for one thing. And then on top of that, of course, and I'm not going to get into it today, but add on top of that anyone who, uh, who, is, part, who is not part of the statistics. Like, for instance, I'm colorblind. Right. So when you look at so, – so, you know, I, I struggle with a bunch of things every day because I miss cues when they're based on color, for instance. Right. Uh, like reds and greens and stuff like that. To me, it's, it's a pretty mm-hmm. – it's a pretty abstract concept, actually, right. and um, so I misinformation. And, and and you know the population that have that has color blindness is roughly ten percent of, of male mm. uh, males. And and when you look at the data for vision impairments, it's only five percent of the population. So they're clearly not including color blindness right. as part of their statistics. Right. So we know that it's actually bigger than what they're saying. Right. Um, and and, and yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, go ahead. No, the. Um- definitely we need to be reaching and engaging a lot of people and not excluding people. Um, My grandfather was colorblind too. So you raising that and I'm looking at my website beside me on my second monitor and I have uh, a green button and a red button right beside each other. My, my website person just, you know, helped me update some things, which was great. And as soon as you said colorblind, I thought, Oh no! Both those buttons are going to merge into each other because I'm familiar with what my grandfather, um, you know, experienced right. in that sense too. So it's little things, and I think people don't realize or don't know, right? It's you know?
1: it's a bunch of small little details yes. that make the difference, and yeah. it's rarely like one barrier that kills the experience for someone. It's it's, right. it's sometimes it happens, and right. some of them are are actually you know more more prevalent than others. Again. But oftentimes it's the accumulation of small little annoyances that make it, at some point that make it just too much and then you just give up for one reason or another. Like I, I don't remember these particular buttons on your on your site there, um, but you know if you have two buttons right one, next to one another or close to one another, I'm probably not gonna be able to tell which is which. And, and if you're using a very common uh, metaphor, for instance, to tell me like the red one is like, maybe it's fail or, or decline and the the green one is you know right. approve or or, right. or you know proceed for instance and you mm-hmm. only have the color to tell me that i don't know which is which yeah. so you have to have something on top of that like for instance you might have a if you have a red button and a green button and let's say your your green button has a white check mark and the red button has a white x I don't really care about the background color because the X and the, the check mark actually tell me what I need to know. But, right. you know, you're you're adding something to the color to make it meaningful for someone who can't perceive the colors. Right. That's one of the many uh, tips that you, you you can come up with to work around, you know, in this particular case, color deficiency perception right. Uh, right. that people might experience.
0: Right. So I've just used annotate in Zoom too, and I was picking not red or green or you know one of those colors i've just picked black to circle the two buttons here um and i don't know if you can see it with uh, the shares I'm, I'm
1: seeing it now i'm seeing yeah. it yeah
0: so and for i don't know if these two are the same color for you or if they're distinguished they're, they're
1: not they're they're as distinguishable as the services and news buttons that we that we have next right. to them.
0: Okay, good. But
1: you know, I I wouldn't be confident to tell you which one is green and which one is red. I, right, right. I, You're I think right. I think that I think that take the quiz is the green one.
0: Yes. But yes.
1: I, I'm not entirely sure. And, yeah. and the interesting thing. there also because you know it's not a case of it's it's just a color being picked in that particular case it doesn't have the actual meaning yeah no it it
0: doesn't but it can in some situations
1: it it often does and the um the bigger challenge when when these colors are used next to one another like they are in your case is that at the at the limit between the two colors there that part to me becomes very flashy and, right. and, and hard on the eye. So okay. if I had a lot of content that was red and green with those colors together, like you know, Christmas for, for a lot of things is yes. really awful for me for that right. reason, because people use a lot of green and red together and yeah. it creates this weird effect that, that is really, it creates a lot of strain on the eyes and, and makes right. it very tiring. Right. So I don't, I don't know if that's the case for, for you know, other people, right. normal people, if you will, but in, for someone like me, it makes it very, yeah, uncomfortable. Right. So, so I would I would avoid those those websites if I could uh, when they're used. Yeah,
0: if there's a lot. a lot of that color everywhere, and that's yeah. the only place that I have that the the red color, but it, I think we have to keep having these conversations and understand everyone's different experience. I focus a lot on the learning experience journey before, during, and after an online workshop or or anything like that. And part of that before piece is potentially sending people resources, making sure hopefully um, that PDFs are accessible. That's something I need to learn even more about. Um, I know on my website and with social media, we have been making sure that we describe the visuals um, and have a visual description, not just in text, but you know, part of that visual itself. But mm-hmm. um, and then I, I know a little bit that PDFs then should be able to be used. Um, so text to audio, um, if that's I one know. of the needs and, and things. And I think there's just so much that people need to learn and that sometimes can feel overwhelming, just like it was for a lot of people who bring their workshops online. It's learning a new language. It's understanding, you know, uh, a complex, but I think we start one step at a time, but the overwhelm or being, I think sometimes people don't bother. There's laws where people have to do a certain amount, but I, I really want to, I hope people try and and do more and do better and care uh to keep learning and keep improving how accessible all resources are um as well
1: so i don't know if you have some thoughts on some of that well well completely agree with what you said Um, i mean there's there's a million little details that you could be doing and and no one can possibly get everything perfect there's so many things that you could be doing but always be on the lookout for that other little thing you could do to make it a little yes. better, yes. Br- send, puts you on a path where it becomes more usable to people who have different experiences than the one right. that you have. And, and my, my, my best advice, I think, when it comes to something like this is just to realize that your audience is not an extension of yourself. I mean, what right. you like, what you prefer, your own biases, your expectations, that's great. I mean, that works for you, mm-hmm. but other people will have a different set of experiences or biases or needs. And if you are not really accounting for what those could be by asking your audience, what it is that works for them, you're going to create an experience that is going to be very limited to your own little world uh, uh, and your own little perspective as to what people actually Mm -hmm. expect. And you're going to create something that will be exclusionary as a result of that. It's it's a very straightforward equation. Um, So, so always being on the lookout for getting feedback, gathering, gathering feedback from other people, especially people who have those disabilities. Like if you know someone, for instance, who's dyslexic, Mm -hmm. um, who has dyslexia, and and you ask them to give you feedback about their your website, you know, they might come up and tell you, well, you know, it's pretty good. I, I like I like the content. I like the fact that there's a lot of iconography. So I don't have to read a lot of content. Right. I don't really like that particular page because you have these big walls of text that are harder to read. Your yeah. font is a little harder for me to read because it's it's like these the letters are a little thin. So I I mix up the the P's and the Q's, for instance, that sort of thing. Right. So you could learn from that and make a couple of changes That's that right. would still make your website you know it could be as as nice and aesthetically pleasing as it is right now but it would be a little an ants from the perspective of someone with dyslexia that's right you know a month later, you meet someone who has ADHD and you ask them, like from your perspective as someone who has attention deficit disorder, what it is that maybe triggers you when you're using a website. And they might tell you something about, you know, two colors being side by side, like I was talking earlier. Yes. And maybe for that person, it is an issue because it it, mm-hmm. it makes it harder for them to focus on a particular thing. Right. You learn from that, you make another tweak. And before you know it, tweak after tweak, it gets a little better.
0: Getting better. And it's about yeah. those conversations there, caring enough to ask. Um, and I agree with you too. Uh, what you were saying that people just know what they like when I'm working with my clients too about their learning experience design I often will mention that as facilitators we tend to facilitate in the style and and way we like to receive information Um, and it's about layering in different elements so that we are engaging the person that uh, for example you know, lights up and really engages with the content if they're talking to people, or someone that is, you know, clicking buttons, because um, they're more action oriented and bringing those elements online. But I'm also very aware that those elements might also not work for everybody. They are drawing in some people from the learning perspective, But so I often recommend to have alternatives, whether it's the technology limitation um, or, you know, and of course, educate at the beginning to show people how to use the tools online. But for example, if we're asking people to annotate um, in Zoom, I also want to give the options, whether they don't have access, annotations not working for them, Or it's a dexterity, you know, someone could have arthritis or, Mm, or something where clicking or typing fast is hard. Um, And so whether there's also the invitation to come on mic or type in chat, that it's also giving alternatives and that it's not awkward that one person is saying, well, I can't do that. That right away up front, you know, inviting people to do the activity one way but also giving alternatives right away. I don't know what your thoughts are, are on that too. Oh,
1: I, I like your example about the annotation toolbar in Zoom, because that's one that I deal with regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the very nature of my, of my work means that I, I work with people that are blind very regularly. One of my colleagues as an instructor is a blind person. He's been blind Pretty much since birth, so um, so you know he doesn't have a use for a mouse. He doesn't have a monitor. Like there's no point in having those things. So he relies on a keyboard, and he knows he knows this keyboard really well, and he navigates through that. So the annotation toolbar is a very visual tool. It is. So for someone like him, being able to go to a menu, select a particular tool in that menu like the stamps or, or the, right. the, the type the type tool or anything like that. He doesn't even can, it can't even yeah. tell where they are. Right. And in that particular case in the particular um, you know, implementation of, of that, the zoom features, it's not particularly accessible to the screen reader that he uses yes. to turn the text into audio. Right. So he't he can't, can't use a tool like that. right. So when we do training, we work in different ways. Like for some people we're going to turn, you know, we're going to turn our our screen into a whiteboard Mm-hmm. and then use the annotation toolbar for those who'd like to do that, but we'll also offer, you know, chat as a fallback. So if you don't want to, if you can't, if for whatever reason you don't, because you know that there, there are people who can't use the annotation toolbar, That's and then right. there are those who are going to connect to your 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 workshop, for instance, mm-hmm. not through the Zoom desktop application, but through Chrome, for instance. And when mm-hmm. you do from the browser, that tool is not available, to you. Right. it's not part of the features that are available. Mm-hmm. So, as a, as, a, as a presenter, as a speaker, as a as a you know instructor, trainer whatever, um, being aware of those things and always offering different alternatives to be able to participate is pretty important because you don't have to have a, a, dis- a person with a disability to feel excluded. You might just be training a bunch of people who actually did not have the ability to download Zoom data for, for right. in their environment and they're all connecting through Chrome and then none of them have the tool but if you plan for that as your only way to deliver your content right. you have a problem exactly so having these different options mm-hmm. i mean having options is always better that's pretty you know self evident yeah. but but if you if you approach it from the perspective of wanting to create different opportunities for people who have different types of experiences, you are automatically creating something that will be more inclusive of everyone because other people might just not feel like playing with that tool right now because they're busy, their mind is busy with That's other right. things. Right. Maybe they're, they're afraid of technology a little bit, so they don't want to make a mistake in front of their colleagues. So they'd rather not use it, but they know how to type in chat, so that they'd rather do that. Mm-hmm. And, and just being you know cognizant of this and, and, and respecting what people's you know, limits or boundaries might be with when it comes to that, creates a more inclusive experience for them also it feels better to not to have to uh to try and struggle through something you're not comfortable with especially when you're in a situation where it might make you look you know less than others mm-hmm. uh, yes. for one reason or another yes and, and I, I see you just turned on the transcripts did, There, that's another great example of what we could talk about yeah. um the, the, these transcripts there they're great. I mean, I mean, by all means, if you're presenting in front of a group using a virtual platform, whether it's Zoom, Teams, or Meet or anything like that, right. by all means use those. But at the same time, be very much aware that this is you know artificial artificial intelligence powered, so AI powered, so it has limits and it's not perfect. It's not yeah, particularly it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I I'm not. It's not turned on. I'm actually going to turn it on right now because yeah. it, it's, it probably picks up part of what I say, but not everything. It's, as pretty uh, good.
0: it's pretty good. But yes, it's not perfect. It depends on accents and it doesn't exactly. up different languages very well. I mean, you, Zoom does have the translation option. That's a whole other thing. But I definitely would encourage as a mandatory type thing that everybody goes into their Zoom or other platforms. Uh, Almost every platform has some sort of option for closed captioning and make sure those settings are turned on. So then when someone asks for it or automatically turn it on um, and it doesn't always have to be the whole transcript. I know for some keynote speakers, professional speakers to have a whole transcript be able to be saved I think from accessibility, if that's a request, you need to do that. I know for some people for intellectual, uh, intellectual property, they might not want the full transcript to be able to be saved from their keynote. I don't know if that matters to people or not, but the closed captioning should be a minimum, that that's activated. And when someone asks for it and needs it, that you already have it ready and available.
1: I don't know what your and. Well, well. To, to, add, to add to what yeah. you said, again, there, the, the um, you know th- that that full transcript is obviously you know useful if you have a hearing impairment. If That's you're hard great. of hearing, uh, if you're hard yeah. of hearing, it helps you. If you're deaf, it definitely helps you because you know lip reading will only get you so far. Yes. Um, but you know, as someone who is a non-native speaker like myself, yes. um, sometimes just being able to read what is being said is actually very helpful. I mean, yes. even even, I pay, even if I pay attention to what you're saying, I might miss a word or two. And then if I can go back and read it quickly, then I'm okay. That's but right. on top of that, let's say that I'm, I'm attending one of your sessions but i'm working from home and my kid is not at school today because the schools are closed again because of covid right. so the kid is right there and yes. she wants something i'm distracted yes i can always take care of my kid yeah. and then go back to yes. the full transcript and then catch up on what you said really quickly so i don't miss everything mm-hmm. it's and not this- a question of having a disability it's just a question of providing an accommodation that helps people exactly. keep up exactly in that particular
0: case and if the transcript wasn't activated and you weren't there, you couldn't scroll back. The closed captioning went. So I think it's helping people understand different situations, like having children at home, or sometimes someone is joining a meeting just on the phone. So they're not seeing the PowerPoint picture. So describing Mm. the picture and just automatically, sometimes when I'm recording my YouTube videos, I'm trying to keep in mind that it's also going to be a podcast And that I need to then describe something that I might be showing Um, and, and just layering again, so that different people in different contexts, or someone could be watching a YouTube video on the bus and forgot their, their um, earbuds. I do that all the time where I've forgotten to put my headphones in my purse uh, so, but I'm bored. I'm sitting in a waiting room. I want to watch something. So I turn on the closed captioning so I can catch. It's hard, uh, but I, I'm still but able at to- At least
1: that there's something. something. Right? Yeah. And, and again, you, you make a really good point. I, I mean, you said something that is exactly what my what my own advice would be when it comes to describing visuals. Let's say I'm presenting information from, from this stage and no, I'm showing a pie chart, for instance. Right. I mean, you could. What most people will do is is say something along the lines of, "As you can see here," yes. and then they they start exactly. blah 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 whatever. Yeah. Um, I make it a point to always present information as if I was actually on a podcast. Mm-hmm. So if I vis- if I if I verbally describe what's on the screen, well, for one thing, I, I'm you know, I'm, I'm emphasizing on the important data points that are on that particular screen. I'm not just relying on people to see it. So anyone who has a visual impairment, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be someone who's blind. I and mean, although these people do exist and they do attend conferences, I can tell you right. that much. Exactly. But but I mean, beyond people that are actually blind, just anyone who has low vision or, or needs yes. glasses and maybe forgotten them that, that day, or anyone who's sitting a little too far in that room and they can't quite see, mm-hmm. or, you know, ha- having, as you said, being... On a mobile device and then everything being so small That's right. you can't see the information as as well so mm-hmm. if you make it a point to really describe the important data points mm-hmm. as part of your conversation if it's just naturally flows into your conversation mm-hmm. i don't actually need to see it because you told me and okay. if that is picked up with the with the, the transcript for instance mm-hmm. it's a pretty inclusive experience the only thing i would add to that is that going and going back to what i said at the beginning about the whole thing being ai powered mm-hmm. um See that's actually not bad it actually picked up on ai that i'm surprised it's not too bad but but I, I guess my english has gotten better over the years but um, but it used to be pretty pretty bad and, and that's my point the point being that it's all you know dynamically generated through technology so it it has limits and right now the best captions like that are probably around 90 95% accurate which mm-hmm. means that every for every 10 words or so, there's going to be about one that is not exactly what you said yeah. or might be radically different than what you said. Yes. And, and you know, we we work around that because we get the content or the context and everything because we also hear it and we sort of forgive. Our brain just forgives it naturally. But if you're someone who has a hearing impairment and every 10 words or so, you have to step back and say, did he really say that? Or like what is that? Like that comes back really, really quick. So one word out of 10 is, is 90% accurate, right? So until we're like at 95, maybe, maybe 98%, you know, that alone is probably not all that great, which which truly really means that if you are well, maybe maybe if you're you know, if you if you're a a, a speaker and you're setting up your own Zoom and you're doing that thing, maybe you won't go to the, down that path. But if you are an event organizer, for instance, planning to have an actual captionist being there, right. and then like a, human, like a human actually transcribing as people talk will give you that 100% accuracy that will really make it an inclusive experience. If you ask someone who's deaf what they think about live transcripts, most of them will tell you that it actually sucks because of what I just said. Mm-hmm. They they want something that works better for them. And, and you know, rightfully so. And and when you think about the cost of having a uh, a, a, a professional captionist working for you, um, it's probably like $50, $60 an hour. So, mm-hmm. you know, all things considered, if you're putting an event together, that's just another item on your budget.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, to consider all so, of these different things. And then online, we can accidentally be talking over top of each other too with the slight delays and how that picks that up and
1: yeah and some of that is missed when, when that happens yeah uh, or see in the case of what we're doing right now I mean your your sentences and mine are just intertwined and you can't really tell the difference right so if if someone hears us talking like they understand and they can they can differentiate our, our voices but if you rely on that particular thing the, the the sentence might be very confusing sometimes. So it's right. great, but it's not perfect. Right. And and like going a little further, again, will provide a better experience from that standpoint.
0: And a transcript will do a little bit better. So right now I don't have transcript, like the full transcript, I have closed captioning. Um, and this is making me rethink too to activate that for all the reasons that you've mentioned, it will do a mm-hmm. better job. The saved transcript won't save the pictures like people have, you know, but it will pick up bad words. (laughs) We've tested that out too. Um, So for people to be aware of that, but another thing too, like this recording right now is not picking up the closed captioning that we've activated. That's a live experience, unless I was doing a screen recording. Um, But uh, when I upload to YouTube, I, you know, people can activate the automatic. It's not perfect either. I, you know, could take and I probably will take the the extra time to go through Otter.ai. I think is what Otter.ai. I, yeah, yeah, for transcription service to go through it and actually fix the imperfections and make sure because of what we're talking about and taking that time. Well, I, yeah, you know, it's um, to do that. But I wanted to mention one more thing too while we were talking about this. I often recommend, too, when people are recording their Zoom um, workshop and they've just ran a poll. Now, first of all, polls might not be super accessible. What I often do um, recommend, too, that people, first of all, read it out loud uh, so someone can't see it. Also read out loud the results because the recording is not picking up what everybody's seeing live so that... That recording, then people are part of that conversation. But do you have some thoughts about that too? With polls not being super accessible, also again giving that alternate, then someone's kind of out, outing themselves if they are putting their uh, response in chat, which is an option. Sometimes people don't have polls, um, like can't see it, don't access it. They've come in, you know, as we've said on from a different method. I will give that alternate, type your answer in chat, or if you picked other, what does that mean? Um, do you have some
1: additional thoughts about
0: some yeah. of those tools too?
1: Sure, I, I do. Uh, well, for, for, first of all, I, I again, I do it exactly like you do. Um, like when when I use the polls feature in Zoom, for instance, um, you know, we'll create the polls ahead of time and then we, we prompt that window and then people just vote. And like, I, I do make it a point to visually describe what's going on. Right. I turn, I kind of turn it into like a horse race. Like we have these four or five different questions. Okay. So five, so A is is ahead right now. B is right there. And yes. the, you can sort of play yes. with that. It's a little fun. That's um, right. it, it creates a bit of an excitement, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it, al- it also lets people know if they can't see your screen, they also, it lets them know like what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then at the, at the very end, I'm going to go through it really quickly saying, okay, so Here's here's what that comes that comes up to. Like people like 25% of people voted for B, and then 55 yes. people percent voted for A, and then whatever for yeah. C. And and so, so B's the winner, clearly the winner, or whatever the number was. I didn't really pick yeah. up on what I said. But I mean, one of the answers is is, is the, the most popular answer. Now the actual answer was this, and we can work with that. That's but at right. the same time, offering people the ability to do that through through chat means that. If someone doesn't feel like working with the the poll or if they don't don't really know how that works or Mm -hmm. or if it doesn't really work for them from an accessibility standpoint um you know they have that other option chat is actually very accessible for most people Mm -hmm. um it works really well if you depend on your keyboard to navigate it works really well if you depend on the screen reader software it works really well if you're depending on voice commands to be able to Control your computer and then zoom in on that particular piece and dictate something mm-hmm. to your computer. Like it works right. well for those users. Those um, Poll is actually pretty good, also, mm-hmm. if you depend on your keyboard. Uh, right. if, if, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're proficient enough with your keyboard, you'll get there. But it's a little more complicated. So offering these options are, are definitely good. Uh, but again, it's the idea of you know verbally describing what's going on so that nobody is left out of, of that mm-hmm. particular piece of it. That's a huge, that's a huge advice. I mean, in a different environment or, you know, in a different time when we used to present in person more, mm-hmm. you know, it's coming back, but you know,
0: yeah.
1: say two years ago and, and mm-hmm. before it, to, to me, this idea of visually presenting information that, that verbally presenting information, I mean, is just as important as not declining the mic when someone hands it over to you. I mean, how many times have you seen that? I mean, we're we're both part of CAPS as an association. Mm -hmm. It's an association of professional speakers. I'm blown away when I attend an event of how many people actually decline the mic saying, oh no, I'm loud enough, people will hear me. No, some people will hear you. Some people won't hear you. Some people might be a little distracted. Some people might need the AV system to be able to relay the information in a cochlear implant. Like there's a bunch of different reasons why they might miss what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So- you know, stuff like that to me is like very basic considerations when you actually recognize that not everybody thinks or acts or appreciates things the way that you do, going back to what he said about that before. So, but yeah, I mean, I mean, all of those things are, are, again, are, are rather simple ways Mm -hmm. to make things more, more, more accessible for people. I mean, we're not even talking about some of the more complex things that you talked about, like, you know, describing images in text, that sort of thing. That's a little bit more, you know, advanced, we could say, I guess, but in terms of just delivery, delivery me- mechanisms that you'd be using to share your content, making it a point of not just pointing to something or referring to something, but actually talking about it and offering people options into different tools that you use in case one of them doesn't wor- really work all that much. Right. Is pretty straight. I mean, pretty, pretty basic, uh, but at the same time, so important too, for yes. people to feel like they're, they're welcome and that they belong in, right. in that experience.
0: That's right. No one likes to feel left out. Um, it's very disrespectful, and then people aren't getting, uh, un, you know, the advantages of learning the content and, and going away and being able to apply what they've learned. Um, and that's yeah. the whole point. If that's what we're trying to do, we need to do everything that we can and layer in and and keep improving how um, accessible we are, whether it's our our communications or our learning experiences, um, as well to
1: and, and and when you think about it, also, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go in to present, one way or another, I have a goal in mind. I want yes. to get new clients. I want to sell something. Like I don't just do that because I'm I, I am passionate. But I mean, that's not the only reason why I wake up in the morning. Right. I actually, I need to pay my mortgage to feed my feed right. my kids. I mean, the, the money is involved one way or another, and and it it doesn't really compute in my head that you would go out there and mm-hmm. then not pay attention to considerations that could exclude easily 20 some percent of your popular, of your mm-hmm. audience. I mean, if I'm going to go out there and spend all that time preparing that content for folks, I want to reach as close to 100% as possible. I don't want to just start at 80 and say, That's I'll take great. whatever works within that 80%, the other 20%, I can afford not to tap into. Mm-hmm. And Of course you'd like to do that. So it doesn't really make sense from a business standpoint either to not pay attention to those things. I mean, from, from a, from a, a a purely financial standpoint, mm-hmm. the data from uh, from the Ontario Ch- Chamber of Com- Commerce uh, was sharing that you know the after tax disposable income of people with disabilities in Ontario was fifty five billion dollars. That's fifty five billion. like with a B there. That's a lot of money. Right. And and if you look at you know the entire the entirety of, of of that that capital. Um, including, you know, what we call the disability market. So that's people with disability, but also those who care about them as we were talking at the beginning there, it's around $165 billion a year. So, I mean, it's a huge untapped market for anyone who communicates. And and I think it's worth people's energy to learn about this a little bit so that they don't, you know, alienate as many people as they otherwise might be doing without even knowing about it.
0: Right. And,
1: And that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And those folks are all like most of those folks are just going to do what everybody else does. At the end, they'll applaud. They'll move out of the room and they'll never think about you again. Cause you were not speaking right. to them at all. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We want Some of
1: them that. will be vocal about it, but most people are just going to, go on their merry way. And you know, right. when they hear about you, they'll say, Oh yeah, I'm not going to go there. That person really doesn't get anything about right. disabilities and I'm not going to pick up on right. what they're saying. Yeah. So it's just unfortunate because you spend all this energy putting your content together and, and you know, we have great messages to share. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth putting a lot of, a little bit of time into this so that you push that message as far as you possibly can.
0: Right. So if we were giving people a place to start um, and uh, you know, there are even three things that people could start with to make sure that they do and, and at least you pick one of them to do right away. Do you have three top areas or focuses that you can think of?
1: I've got plenty of top series. Okay. Uh, depends on, the, depends <laughs> on the, t- the content or the topic. Do you, are, you, are you thinking like virtually? Are you thinking in person? Are you thinking training versus keynoting? Uh, are you talking yeah. websites?
0: Yeah. Great question. Because there's so many of those areas. Okay. Let's focus in on um, online virtual facilitation, online training. What are three things that people should be doing right away to start with? So
1: I I think, I think the most important things we pretty much covered already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll give you another another shot for another <laughs> top three, if you want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the context of using Zoom or Teams, for instance, I would say by all means, turn on live transcript. Yeah. By all means, offer alternatives. If you're going to be using a particular feature like annotation or anything like a whiteboarding or anything like that, right. plan for a different option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, If you're going to be using breakout rooms, for instance, mm-hmm. make sure that people can actually get there or offer them the ability to bring them to those rooms yourselves yes. if they can't activate the buttons themselves. Mm-hmm. So be 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 helpful that's in that true. in that sense. Mm-hmm. And and then the third the the last one will be you know relevant whether it's virtual or not. And that's just going to be like describe those visuals that you're talking yes. about so that we can see them. I mean it's actually easier in a in a virtual environment to be able to read your slides because mm. like I'm right there, like I'm, I'm to eight, 12 to 18 inches away from my computer yes. um, or, or closer if I need to be closer. So I have a really, I have a front, seat, uh, front row seat to your presentation. Right. So it's a little different than being in a room, right? If I'm sitting in the back of the room, mm-hmm. then your slide might be very difficult for me to read. But when I'm looking at it this way, mm-hmm. it's easier but I might not be able to pick up on the small details because maybe my vision is blurry, maybe I have cataracts, maybe I have low vision, maybe I need magnification, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to describe those things, again, like we said, will, will make a big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could give you three for the websites. Most people have one, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, what blows people minds most of the time in, in training is when I ask them to try using their websites without their, their mouse. So that alone might be a weird concept for most people. So I'm just going to explain what that means. Right. You know, every... I mean, we don't think about it, right? I mean, we just use the mouse and we point and click on things, or you use your, your trackpad on your on your laptop yes. and you just point and click on stuff. So that's great, but that's the and eye coordination thing. Yes. If you can't see what's going on, pointing and clicking is pointless, right. pun intended. So uh, so you're going to rely on something else. That's something else most of the time is going to be the keyboard itself. Right. So using the tab key, using the, the space bar, the, the return key, the arrow keys, you are theoretically mm. supposed to be able to do everything on your website just using these combinations there. Right. If you can't get to something or if you're tabbing through your different call to actions on your website and you're skipping over something that you could click on, that's an accessibility problem. I mean, right. some of the content on your website mm. does not work outside of the mouse Uh, Metaphor.
0: Yes.
1: So so that's a huge one. That's a really really big one to uh, to to Mm. to look into, and it's actually a very easy one to find if you're trying to use your your own site with just your keyboard. You will notice right away what doesn't work. Right. Uh, Maybe you'll notice that you can't get to your menu at all, which is a pretty big concern when you think about it. Um, Right. So so working outside of the mouse is a pretty big one. Mm -hmm. Color contrast is a very big one also. So paying attention to the color, use of color, use of color combinations. Uh, you know the, the how how strong the contrasts are. That's definitely a big one. And then uh, I would tell you, I mean, if you're if you if you're either a technical person or if you work with someone who handles your website, making sure that your images are uh, described in text. So back to what something that you said. So the alt text values of the yes. images. In the source code, making sure that you have a description for each of the images, so that people can people who can't see the screen but will have this, the 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 screen read to them will have a description of the image as opposed to the image itself. Because mm-hmm. an image is worth a thousand words if you bother to actually provide them. Otherwise, it's just a it's just a blank canvas. Otherwise, mm-hmm. and and I guess I can give you a fourth one that also works with the, the first the first set for for for, a, for a, like an online presentation or, or 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 live person present. Well, I mean
0: yes that too in person, in person. presentation yeah.
1: Yeah. and that's just captioning your videos uh that's yeah. a huge one as well you mentioned that as part of your preparation for 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 the, this recording here mm-hmm. but uh yeah either either going through a, a vendor like rev.com for instance who right. will charge you like a dollar or two per minute of video content to, to 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 caption it or learn to do it yourself it's actually very easy to do i mean if you if you if you can if you can watch a movie and be you know just Doing this while you're watching the movie, right. it's it's one movie or two and then you're done. So right. a couple of hours, and then you potentially make a big difference in in, in your audience's mm-hmm. experience, and you definitely make a statement as to your commitment to yes. inclusion.
0: Yeah. And
1: both are very valuable.
0: Yeah. So very important.
1: And things I'm, like that.
0: I'm glad you also mentioned about the breakout rooms. I most of the time I have mine go automatic. So people aren't having to click any buttons unless we're doing a specific um, engagement activity where people are picking which room they want to go to. But then I also am sending people to the rooms that need that assistance. Um, right. Well,
1: And, and you know, it's, it's pretty easy overall to right. just tell people, OK, so you're going to be able to choose whatever room you want to go into. If you um, if you have a difficulty actually doing that, just private message me. Nobody else will know. And then you see that in chat and then you help them out. That's pretty, pretty easy.
0: Is it easy for someone to type in the chat and also pick um, who they're typing it to? Is that an accessible thing to do? It is.
1: It is accessible from the standpoint of the international guidelines that dictate how to build this stuff from from a technical standpoint. So it works. Um, I mean, it, it's not more difficult. I, I would argue it's not more difficult for someone to do it when they're blind mm-hmm. than than someone who's sighted but doesn't really know how that works to begin with. I mean, there, there's right. a learning curve right. to learn how to use it, of course. Yes. But yeah. if you if you describe that at the beginning, so here's we're going to be using chat for this presentation. Mm-hmm. So um, let's just do a quick overview of how that works for those of you who are not familiar. Um, you have that little drop down, then you can see if you want to chat directly to a person or to us. In some cases, it's actually limited, so it's even easier.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but just mentioning that it's there, and then you pick who you want to send it to, and then you type your message, you right. press enter, and then you're done. And, and it actually works very well with someone, you. depending on a keyboard, it works really well for someone depending on a screen reader. So there aren't obvious accessibility barriers with using it, mm-hmm. except actually using it.
0: Knowing how to use that. And I always recommend that too to have navigation slides, but again, not just visually, actually take people through in an auditory way and uh, help people, you know, ask people, okay, you know, type in chat, hello, and that sort of thing, so that you, and it's describing on the lower left of the screen, you know, all of those pieces trying to be as inclusive as possible. Are the green check marks and things like that? Often those probably wouldn't be accessible if we're asking people for the reactions
1: at the bottom they yeah not that great yeah. but again they're very visual so anything yes. that relies on a visual experience yes you want to have a you want to think of some kind of a fallback for that i mean it's exactly. great to, it's options. great to, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know also balance it out on your end i mean it, it might be nice to use those those little emojis or, or reactions but if you make it a systematic thing it gets and old pretty quickly thing- right Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So, you know, it it
1: might be, it might be something as simple as, okay. So um, if you, if you think this is great, give give us a thumbs up in the reactions or maybe put a plus in chat.
0: Exactly. Super simple. Alternate option is is so important. This has been a great conversation. We could definitely talk for hours um, about this as well. And I'll probably have two versions, a short version uh, because people's attention spans aren't super long, but um, get in, you all have a a blog post and LinkedIn. I'll share all of that with you as well, Denise, before that goes out and I'll have the, the full version um, accessible to for people to be um, uh, you know that are interested and a podcast to like I usually try to cover all the bases again for accessibility uh, reasons as well but I really appreciate your time all your knowledge and insight um, and uh, and for sharing that with all of us Denis thank you so much you're
1: very welcome that was great Happy yeah. I could I could make it
0: yeah, I'm so glad we finally got to talk. And to thank you to everybody who is either listening to this, watching it, or reading it, um, that um, that you are checking this out, that you care about the topic, and thank you for picking even one thing that you're going to do following uh, learning yeah. about this. I appreciate that to all of you. That's your call to action um, in a formal way. And I encourage everyone to try to make your experiences engaging to turn an audience into participants. And make sure you're not leaving anyone out. Thank you so much.